right, so once again, thank you for being here. My name is Pastor Ryan. This morning, we're going to be studying the New Testament book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Colossians. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. We got you covered. Everything we talk about, all the verses are going to be on the screen behind my head. So as you're turning to that, I also want to give you a little bit of an idea of where Colossae is. If we can go to our first slide. Um, so as you can see, here's the Mediterranean Sea. Or over here is kind of Africa. Here we got Jerusalem, Damascus. You keep going around. There's Antioch. And up there is Colossia in the middle. It's in modern-day Turkey. So that's what we're talking about, uh, that area of the world today. Now, for starters, the gentleman who wrote this book, Paul, likely never even visited this city. Right? But we do think this particular city, this church, was started by one of his followers, someone who he had taught up, a man named Epaphras, and we're going to talk about him in a little bit in verse 7. So now, the reason I bring this up about Paul, that he may never have visited here, is because this is simply a great example of how the gospel is spread. Okay, Jesus had taught the disciples. He raised them up, increased their faith, and then he sent them out and said what? Go and make more disciples. And so that's what Paul did. This gentleman named Epaphras would have been discipled by Paul, met some Paul on one of his missionary journeys, learned about Jesus Christ, and then Paul sent him back to the area he was from to do the same thing. And so that's what this is about. He went back, planted a church, and then at some point in the near future, Paul writes a letter to this church, which is what we're going to study today. This, church, this letter to this church is to help them grow in their faith and stay focused on Jesus Christ. So it's really, really cool. So let's jump in with uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 4. And this is what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossia, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. Now, this is a good opening for a number of reasons. Number one, the people of Colossia maybe have only heard of Paul. Right? Maybe just a little bit about him. Maybe only they heard a little bit about Jesus Christ. So he's starting off by giving them his spiritual resume, basically. He says, listen, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, the word apostle means one who is sent. So he's saying specifically he was sent by Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to share in the good news. He's saying, this is my calling, this is my job, this is what I do, my whole life's purpose. And further, I'm being sent by God the Father through his will. So his overall point is he's not doing any of this by his own will. This is not his church. This is not Epaphras' church. This is the church of Jesus Christ, and he's being sent by Jesus through the will of God the Father. He's also saying this because he has no authority here. The authority that he's, that he's going to claim is through God the Father and through, through Jesus Christ. So while, while, while we may need a little bit of an explanation in this, the people in this town, in Colossia, this would have meant a whole lot. It would have carried a lot of weight when they studied it, when they read it in church. They would have paid attention to his spiritual resume. And then his teachings, what he's going to tell them, would then become guiding principles of this church. Now, the other reason that Paul is so specific about his spiritual resume in the opening letter and the opening lines is because of some of the problems that were occurring in this church and in that particular area. There was something going on called the Colossian heresy. 
And what this involved was people in this area would learn about Jesus Christ, but instead of letting go in their old ways, they just jammed Jesus Christ in there with everything else they believed. So it was still possible to worship Zeus. They also did angel worship, believe it or not. And so what they do, so imagine this is like their 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 living room and they have a mantle and they have a little statue to Zeus, statue of Archangel Michael. They kind of move some things over and then they just jam a crucifix up there with everything else. So they keep doing the old stuff and they just kind of force Jesus in there, right? They have their own services to Zeus, Michael, whatever they do. And then they also pray to Jesus Christ. So they're kind of just mishmashing everything. And this is called syncretism where you just kind of bring it together. And believe it or not, this actually does still occur today. Uh, specifically, I don't know if you've heard of the Unitarian Church, the Unitarian Universal Church, Universalist Church. Um, but basically, within that denomination, you can believe anything you want, including Christianity, and all of it's okay. It all just kind of blends together, and everything's, you know, and always uh, lead to heaven. But of, of course, that's not true. There are some huge problem, huge problems with that. And the main one is you have to ignore some very specific things that Jesus himself said. Okay? So let's look at one of those. This is from John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then you guys read the last part. No. Now, for just a moment, I want everyone just to pause and just look at that. Notice in this verse, it's not up to us if other religions are valid. Jesus is not asking you to give your opinion on what he just said, right? He's not putting you in the hot seat to give your own personal judgment and tell other religions are true and false. Your opinions actually don't matter. See, Jesus decided this for us. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So according to his own words, you cannot put Christianity alongside any other religions. You can't, right? And it's not because I said that or you said that. It's because of who said that. That's what this is about. And let's be honest. Is that vague? Yeah. Are there, can you find any? I'll give anybody a Snickers bar. Can you find a loophole in this? No, it's not. It's just it is what it is. And that's the point. It's very clear. And what Paul was doing back then, and it matters today, is saying, I am sent by this guy to teach about him. That is my calling. He's, I saw Jesus with my own eyes. He called me to share the gospel. So what he's doing, this is a great way to start this letter. And what's cool is as we go further into this book, the book of Colossians, Paul's going to continue in a lot of different ways to say exactly that, to keep the focus on Jesus Christ. He's going to encourage all people to grow in their faith and stay true. So let's continue and let's read verses 5 and 6 and let's see what he says next. He says, The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been done among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So there's some important concepts here in these two verses, but they also really, really encapsulate what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And his language, again, is colorful, but it, it really has deep meaning. So he's talking about faith and love that actually come out of hope. And what this means is because of what Jesus does, because of the salvation that Jesus brings, we have hope. 
All right, we have that. We can look forward to our future. Even though we live in a sinful world, you know, turn on the news. You see all the wars, the suffering going on today, right? And each one of us, I could, if, we could, if you feel comfortable admitting it, we're no stranger to anger, depression, loss, separation, just not having hope sometimes. But that's part of life, unfortunately. But we also know there is hope, there is joy, there is love, there is patience and forgiveness in this world. But we have those things because of God the Father. He is the source of all love and all light. And so what Paul is doing, he says, says our hope points forward to what we have in Jesus Christ, to our eternal home where there is no sorrow, anger, and pain. And he's saying all of that comes from Jesus Christ. So then the, the other issue that he's talking about is, well, how do we hear about this? How do we know about this? Because of the gospel, because of the good news. In verse 6, he says, this news, it's so good that it's bearing fruit, meaning it's being productive. It's bearing fruit out there in Colossia, and it's bearing fruit throughout the world. This means other people are coming to believe. They're turning away from their sins and their old religions and believing in Jesus Christ. And, and we know that this wasn't hyperbole. We, we know he wasn't blowing things out of, the, out of proportion because it was happening back then, right? And even today, look around this church. We are here because of what was going on back then. We are the distant generation of what was happening 2,000 years ago in that church. And so then it really falls on us to stay true to Jesus Christ because our thoughts should be on the next generation, the generation after that, so that the church continues to grow. And Paul's saying, listen, it's growing, it's doing well, it's bearing fruit. And you guys, just like that church, you are part of it. You are part of it. Now let's jump into verses 7 through 9. And let's see what Paul says about this guy, Epaphras, who likely started this church. Starting at verse 7, he says, You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We will continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So Epaphras, again, was likely from this area of Colossae. We believe he met Paul somewhere on one of Paul's missionary journeys, and then he came to believe. He grew in his faith, he was trained up, and at some point was sent back to this area to start a church, right? Which is really, really cool what's going on here. And Paul says in verse 7, he's actually now heard about all the stuff happening in Colossae. He's heard about their love and their faith, their dedication, and it just simply warms his heart. Because of their growth and their faith, Paul says that he continually prays for them, for God to fill them with knowledge. Now, this, this is actually really important. He prays for them to God, prays uh, to God for knowledge and for knowledge of their path. And uh, this is important because it helps He's praying for them to understand the scriptures and then to incorporate it into their lives. Now, the reason he's doing this, and because this, this really highlights an important part of uh, two different things in church planting and then church growth, right? So when people come, to, let's talk about church planting for a moment. When people come to believe, like if we go to a new area, our first job is just to teach about Jesus Christ. Have people come to believe and then they're baptized, right? Fabulous, awesome. Church growth is now what do you start doing with all those people? How do they incorporate everything Jesus taught into their lives on a day-to-day basis, daily, weekly, monthly? How do they follow that path, right? It's learning to discern uh, 
everything that they see and incorporate that into their lives. And that's a big step because this, unfortunately, is where humans tend to get into trouble, right? Where we create all kinds of problems here on this side. And just to show how much of this is, and you're going to agree very quickly, is think about all the, try to name off real quickly all the different Christian denominations you know of. See, we don't disagree so much on this. Where Christian denominations pop in is where? It's over here. How do you do all this other stuff, right? Even though we have the same Bible, we disagree on all the other stuff. This is where we create problems. For example, how are you supposed to worship? You're supposed to be quiet? Can you talk? Can you get up? Is the pastor supposed to dress in robes or can he do this? Can the pastor wear flip-flops? Can you talk in church? Some of them you can, some you can't. How do you sing in church? How are you supposed to worship? Who's supposed to be the leader? Can the pastor be? Does it need to be a group of people or just one person? And do they have to have any training? And here's where it gets thorny. What do we do if we decide on our path and we believe, but all these other churches believe in Jesus Christ but choose to do all that stuff just a little different? Are we equal? Or are we a little better because we think we figured it out? You're laughing because why? What does everybody do? We're a little better. I mean, you know. And some churches go far enough to say, well, unless you're part of our denomination, you're not actually saved. Do they not? So again, coming to Jesus tends to be, we can still mess this up too, but it tends to be the easier part. The harder part is that we always mess up is how do you do church over the long term? And so, and Paul is uniquely intelligent. He has a great understanding in the problems that occur over here. And that's why he's praying for understanding in the Spirit. Understanding. He's praying that the early church will stay focused on Jesus Christ, focus on what actually matters, and don't worry about the other stuff so much. Right? The stuff that divides us, that creates hierarchies and division, it happens. The stuff that has no bearing on whether or not someone is actually saved or not. Right? He wants them to know Jesus Christ, and that's it. It takes knowledge. It takes humans putting aside their fears, their wants, their biases, and just simply focusing on Jesus Christ. Again, that kind of sounds simple in a way, but we're also usually not very good at that. So what Paul is doing is showing genuine concern for a baby church that's growing, that's going to impact a lot of people down the road, and he wants them to get it right. And just to, to show this is exactly what he's trying to accomplish, let's continue and read verses 10 and 11. He says, he's doing this so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Not man, not your neighbor next to you, please God in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Now, this is beautiful because this is almost like a first draft of a mission statement for the future church, right? I don't know if Paul was trying to do that, but that's kind of what it looks like. He wants Christ followers first to live a life that is pleasing to God. He doesn't want us to worry about pleasing man, but pleasing God. He wants us to bear fruit, which means we're doing good works. We're living things out. He wants us to grow in knowledge of the Lord. He wants us also to have strength and patience so we can endure. Now, when he says endure, he doesn't mean to simply survive. He means to thrive, right? He wants the church to shine like a bright spot in a dark world. 
He wants the, the church to draw other people in. And that's a very cool concept. And what's really neat is that was the purpose very, very early on. That's what they were trying to do, to bring people out of their old lives, have them learn about Jesus Christ, and then begin to follow him. Now, if you don't mind, we're going to jump ahead just a bit to verses 15, 16, and 17. But as we read these, I want you to do something different. I want you to put yourself into this, very, this first century church in Colossae, okay? Now, as you do that, I want you to remember the New Testament has not been written yet. So we all know that, you know, New Testament, we know how things end, we know all the stuff in between. You maybe get a Bible, you get the Bible up in your phone, forget it for just a second, forget all of that. Forget all of it. The only thing you may have heard about Jesus Christ is word of mouth, little bits. The only thing you may have heard about Paul is word of mouth, little bits, right? And keeping that in mind, what Paul, what he's going to do is he is going to try to teach us about Jesus Christ, from the beginning of creation to the end. Cover all things very succinctly, you know, without going into like 20 chapters and getting deep, just so we who don't know that much can get a really good idea of who Jesus is, right? So that's where he's going. So keep that in mind, and let's read this, because this is really cool. So it's Colossians 1, 15 to 17. Again, we don't know anything about Jesus Christ, just little bits. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Ooh, that's kind of heavy, right? He's really, but he's also, let's be honest, he's kind of encapsulated. He's not minimizing Jesus, but he's putting him into a, a, a way, like into a box that we can kind of wrap our heads around and understand from beginning to end and, and how it all plays together. For instance, he says, we can't see God the Father, but people actually did see Jesus Christ. They saw him. Paul saw him, right? People ate with Jesus. He went into their homes. He walked around. You could talk to him. It was really cool, right? And yet he's the physical representation of God the Father. He was before all things, which means he wasn't created like us or like the angels. He's different. He's always existed. And yet the real cool thing, I think, at the end is in, through him all things are held together. Right? Now that is some cool stuff. And that, again, heavy duty. And so what he's doing is providing just enough detail so, again, we can begin to wrap our heads around who Jesus Christ is. It's a kind of a, like the story of creation, because in that story, in the story of creation, God does not go into any heavy-duty detail. He doesn't talk about DNA, RNA, gravity, math, physics, chemistry. He doesn't do any of that. He gives us enough information to tell us what he did so we understand him. He doesn't go further. Like, for instance, go back and read it sometimes. He says, day one, I did this. Day two, I did this. Day three, this. Four, this. Five, this. Six, this. Seventh day, took a little break. But that's what I did. Right? And the whole story covers like two pages in your Bible. So God did not try to tell us how he did it, just I did it. So you can understand he started creation. He did it. And the reason he did it that way is probably twofold. Number one, we don't need all that detail. It, we don't need it for faith. If you had all the details like the recipe, you don't need faith. So that's why it's called faith. We can believe without all that detailed evidence. Number two, even if God did provide the recipe, there's no way we could understand it. There's no way we could comprehend the math, the chemistry, the physics. It's just too 
beyond our needs, right? So even if it was written down, it wouldn't matter. And still, let's be honest, even if it was written down, parts of it, I mean, we tend to argue over all kinds of stuff, don't we? People still argue today over whether the earth is round or flat. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff we just simply can't agree on. We argue over stuff that's actually on video, whether or not it actually happened. Humans are just, they surprise me sometimes, but we do. And so that's not on God, that's on us. So here's where Paul is going with all this. Paul is in the business of creating disciples and planting churches. And so now that he gave this background on the big stuff on Jesus Christ, the heavy stuff, right, how everything was created through him, now he's going to add a few more details to make sure that we understand the church is built on Jesus Christ. Okay, That's the foundation. He doesn't want the church built on Epaphras, on him, or anybody else. Right? It's going to be very, very clear what he's saying. Let's read that, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have, what word did he use? Supremacy. So clearly, right, without giving any space or room for discussion, he says Jesus is the head of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn, the beginning, the end, the big cheese, the head honcho. Everything is about him so that he might have what? Supremacy in all things. Does anybody have any questions on that? Is that vague? Can you sneak anything else in there around that? No, and that's his point. Everything else needs to go off by the wayside. Because he knows human beings, right? He knows what we do. Nothing is supposed to supersede Jesus, what he taught, or how he lived, right? Living, dead, past or future, it doesn't matter. And we need to understand this was, um, not, this is not, some of the issues that come up are not uh, unique to Christianity. Jews had their own issues. They struggled for a very long time, and even today to a degree, with the legalism, following the law, right? Um, and there's even a struggle within uh, Judaism. Uh, it was occurring back then between the Pharisee group and the Sadducee group. I don't know if you've ever heard those two. Uh, the Sadducee group was more of kind of like the elite uh, group, and they followed a very, very strict interpretation of the written law. If it wasn't written down, whatever's written, that's blank. There is no way around it. It's, that's it. They also did not believe in an afterlife. When you die, that was it. It was like you're a candle going out, your flame. There's no soul. You're simply done. The Pharisee group, of which Paul was a member, believed in the written law, but they also believed in the oral traditions and the oral interpretations and the law. But they also believed in an afterlife. So within Judaism of the day, they did not agree on what happened when you die. They couldn't agree. They didn't know. All right? So Paul knew this. Since it happened with the Jews, it was happening, and it was likely to happen with this new church with Jesus Christ over time. So what he's going to do is make every effort to make sure it simply starts out on Jesus Christ alone. He wants everybody to stay right there in the center. Right? And to help in this process, remember Paul is teaching a large group. He's writing a letter, letter to a large group, and he knows this is going to impact generations down the road. He wants to give it legitimacy. He wants to make sure that this is coming from God the Father. And this is what he says in verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So like a lot of what Paul has talked about so far, he's taken these huge concepts, 
He's putting them into, into focus centered on Jesus Christ. For example, when he says God reconciled himself to all things through Jesus, what he means is, think of all the sin that's going on in the world. Think of the separation that we feel. We know we're separate from God. What God is doing is reconciling that through Jesus Christ. He's bringing us back into relationship with him. All right? And that, that's what he's doing. Here's, here's a really good example of this and kind of how things started with, with Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Eden, it tells us everything was perfect. And Adam and Eve, they walked with God through the garden. It says they literally walked with him. I mean, how cool would that be? And that's what they did. There was no sin at that time. But what happened once they sinned? They were kicked from the garden. They were kicked from the garden permanently never to return. And now that they're separate from God, now they would know pain, they would know hunger, they would know death and sin. It tells us they would need to work the ground and battle thorns and weeds under the hot sun to try to provide for themselves. And this was the great separation that has existed from then till today. And God has always been fixing that, providing a way out through Jesus Christ. That's his point. And to prove this is exactly where Paul is going with this, look what he says next in verse 21 and 22. It's like perfect. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior, because of sin. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Right? So that's just everything we've just been talking about. And so what I was going to try to do next is encapsulate everything we've been talking about into a more modern way to help us understand. So this is going to be our point for today. This is what this is about. Let's go to our next slide. We are responsible for the disease that is sin, and Jesus is the cure for that. It's very simple, very to the point, but yet that's what this is about, right? And throughout the Bible, we see humans struggling with that, trying all different ways to fix that or address that. Different gods, different religions. Uh, even today, people try to alleviate the problems of sin, separation, all that kind of stuff through money, addiction, you name it. There's all kinds of ways. We will never achieve that happiness. We will never achieve fullness until we know Jesus Christ and truly belong to God. And what this is about from the whole Bible is the beginning to end is God repairing that relationship. Right? And to help us understand God the Father's role in all this, he really has two roles in this big, expansive story. Number one, he's the creator of the world. He gave us the law. The law helps us, helps us to be judged. But he's the only one who can judge us and be fair and truly see into our hearts. And that, that's his first role. The next role is in God being our redeemer and our savior, fixing all that we have done wrong. Right? And this is where Jesus Christ comes in. Now, having covered all that, this is where Paul makes it personal. This is where he's going. Because like, like, just like here in church, you can sit back in church and go, oh, yeah, sounds great. Oh, great. Totally agree with that. Yep, sounds good. But Paul's going to do next is make it personal. This is what you have to do. Because it's one thing to sit here and go, yeah, great, great, and then go right back out to your normal life like nothing ever happened. Like going to the movie theater. Oh, that was cool. And then you just go right back. That's not what Paul wants. He wants you to hear this and internalize it. Make it part of who you are, okay? We have responsibility here. So this is what he says in our last verse for today, verse 23. Look at the first word, if. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out from the gospel. This, this is the gospel that you heard and, that have, been, and have been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, the big word is here is if. If you continue to in your faith, if you choose 
to do this. And please pay attention because this is very important here. Nobody forces you to do anything. You make your own choice. And, this is, and just like we talked about, when it comes to planning a church and, or bringing new people to the faith, it's a great thing to have them come to believe and be baptized, right? Fabulous. But what about for the rest of their life? Every day, they're going to see a variety of options to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus, or kind of go back and forth, a little bit of everything. This is about making Jesus central to your faith, to your life, and you choosing him among lots and lots of other options over the course of your life. See, that's what this is about. That's what he's trying to get to, right? You have lots of choices. Now, there's this really cool story in the New Testament, and this has always stuck out for me, even when I was younger. Um, There's a story of this young man, and he had this chance. He just saw Jesus, and he just walked right up to him and asked a question. That just blows my mind that he had, you know, we will never have that opportunity on this earth, but he did. He just walked right up, and it's in Matthew 19. The story goes, this dude was rich. He was a rich young man, walked up to Jesus. We don't know if Jesus was doing, you know, but he just walked up and said, hey, I got a question. I've kept the law my whole life. I've done an awesome job at it. Nailed it. What else do I have to do to get into heaven, to be perfect? That's a good question. It's a good, little ego, a little too much on the, you know, the law, but he's still a good question, right? And he looks at Jesus and says this. And you know what Jesus' first word back was? If. If. If you want to be perfect, if you want to get into heaven, sell everything that you have. Get rid of that money. Give it to the people who need it. And then I want you to follow me. There's your answer. And then it would have been quiet. And the story goes, the rich young man was like, high five, I'm totally in. No, I'm kidding. He didn't happen at all. What did he do? He went away sad. He lowered his head because he couldn't look Jesus in the eye anymore. He knew that price was too high. He wasn't willing to do it, so he walked away from Jesus. And Jesus let him walk away because it's a choice. If, that's what Paul says, if. That's what Jesus says, if. If you want to follow me, this is our personal responsibility. Like I said, you can come here to church 20, 30 years and be like, oh, that was good, powerful stuff. Oh, And just go right back to what you're doing before and never change. You haven't decided. So Paul wants us to get there. Jesus wanted that man to let go of everything and just trust him. But let's be honest. That is a tall order, is it not? I mean, it's easy to go, I would never do that with that rich young guy. It's tough. It's tough. But that's what faith is. Right? And so Paul's saying, listen, our desire shouldn't be to look at the law and treat it like a checklist and try to make ourselves feel better. We should want to leave a good life and leave our sin behind. Yes, absolutely. But everything first should come from a desire to know and follow Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. Because it goes back to the whole, that whole mantle analogy with the syncretism and the universe where you, you have all your priorities, everything you like, and then you just kind of create a little space and take a crucifix and go, oh, it's nice right there. Keep everything else, you know. What this is about is you get rid of all the other stuff and it's just simply on Jesus Christ. Right? And that's what we're called to do. That should be the heart of it because we have, if we have any other motives, any other desires, any other gods or whatever, it'll never, it's never going to work. It does, just doesn't work that way. So as we begin to finish, this is what we like to do in this church. 
One, we always like to make it personal. We like to have you make your decision. We want to help you in that. We always want people to know Jesus Christ. So if you haven't chosen Jesus Christ, we want to give you that option. We're going to pray in a minute. And all you have to do is, if you'd like to do that, just repeat the prayer after me. Now, here's the other thing, though, for everybody. Two things. One, you may have already chosen Jesus Christ and been baptized. That's awesome. But maybe you're not really following him the way you should. Maybe you have your own mantle and you got him up there with a bunch of other stuff. This is a great time to refocus and say, no, this is who I choose. It's my choice. We're also going to pray for everybody here. We're going to pray for knowledge for each one of us to know Jesus Christ, to know him, to be able to interpret and focus on him throughout our lives with all the other options we have. We're going to pray for knowledge and faith, okay? So let's bow our heads and let's, let's pray together. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you raised him from the dead. And today, it's my choice, and I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I choose him. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, and then to guide my steps, to help me for the rest of my life. Father, today... Each one of us here, we pray for greater knowledge of you and of your teachings. Help us to understand the best way to apply your teachings and your laws so that we can become the best disciples possible. Help us to see and understand the path that you've laid out for us. Guide our steps. And then lead us to people who don't know you yet so that we can share the hope that we have in your son. Father, we also ask for strength to endure all trials. May everything we go through, both good and bad, may it strengthen our faith, our resolve, and may we always lean on you no matter what. That, Father, as a church, we pray for all people to come to know you and to place their trust in you. It's only through you and the saving grace of your Son that we have, that we have hope and that we are saved. Father, as always, we pray that as our faith grows, just like with the gentleman Epiphras, that you will use us as you see fit. Use us to expand your kingdom, to share your word. Give us opportunities to use the unique talents that you've given each one of us. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given each one of us, all the blessings. We thank you for your church, but most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his great name we ask all these things. Amen. Amen.